And we're back, and you are listening to Villain Cast, BJJ Antiheroes, with myself, Chris, the Villain Pains. Unfortunately, Naki can't join us this week due to some internet service provider issues, but he should be uh, back for next week. Firstly, a thank you to our sponsors, the lovely patrons on Patreon. Thank you for believing in this work, and if you'd like to learn more about supporting this channel, along with exclusive, exclusive content, such as the new episodes of How to Defend Everything 3.0, along with monthly webinars starting this saturday the 4th of november you can find out more via chrispainsbjj.com so yes unfortunately it is just myself today um naki has some internet service provider issues since he's uh moving house um but the mailbag was so full i couldn't i couldn't let it i couldn't wait a week these were some fantastic questions so thank you for sending these in um We'll jump straight in. Uh, I'm excited to start to, to answer these. And if you'd like to ask questions, I normally put up a post on Instagram. Uh, you can message me personally. Uh, the Discord is still there and still thriving. That thing's pinging me all the time. Um, first off, so there was a video that was released on the Patreon of a, a commentator on a roll. Um, and there's a, a brief mention of sit-outs. Um, so the first question we have is the pros and cons of sit-outs. Um, obviously they work. They work in wrestling. Um, the only downside I see, and this is normally the issue that I find if people try and sit out with me or... Again, it depends on your, your wrestling pedigree. Sit-outs obviously work very well um, if you can do them right. But if I keep my hips higher than yours, I'm aware of... Uh, that being a possibility, I can just keep my hips high and you're essentially throwing yourself back onto your back again if the uh, the sit-out fails. Um, I think there are definitely other options. So when I, I did wrestling um, for many years, um, one of the uh, most useful things I ever came across was if someone goes elbow deep through your neck is to essentially do a, a Russian tie-up with the arm. Uh, it was it was one of the things that I remember being told by my wrestling coach is, is don't go elbow deep, which usually happens in jiu-jitsu because people want to go for the anaconda chokes and the gator rolls. But if you do that, then there is always that possibility of a really strong Russian tie-up uh, with the... If your, ha- if your hand is caught in their armpit and they turn, it's, it's a powerful technique. Maybe I have to do it on a video one day. Maybe, maybe. I'll record some stuff tonight, hopefully. Um, but yeah, so issue I have with sit-outs, they work, but when they go wrong, you're throwing yourself onto your own back, and there are better options. Um, second question, do I sleep? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, weirdly enough, uh, due to now doing jiu-jitsu as um, my main pastime uh i now try and squeeze in other things to just try and keep myself from going insane uh which kind of means gaming a lot uh going to the gym uh rock climbing um and with classes and privates and podcasting and making videos and trying to sort out seminars and traveling I do a lot of things about jiu-jitsu per day, so it's good to, to 
slide some other things in there. I do definitely need to improve my sleep. I think the five to seven hours I get may not be enough. Um, what a weird question to suddenly ask if I sleep. And that's someone who's trying to rob my house. <laughs> it's like, when, when's he going to bed? <laughs> it feels weird having Naki not here and then laughing at my own jokes. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. I thought this might work out well. Um, next question. I'm going to go both of these a little fast because there's some I really want to like spend some time on and I think can really dive deep into. Etiquette at rolling at other gyms, especially with higher belts. I know who sent this as well. He's a bad man. Um, <laughs> hi. You're probably listening as well. Uh, I think in general, um, so one of the benefits of learning the preach system of defense is that I can roll, especially as a black belt. So I think the, the answer to this is very different depending on what belt you are and your general mindset and what you're trying to do. Um so, oh, this is going to be a really deep, oh, you've really opened this one up. Congratulations, sir. Um, so, I think one of the issues with belts in general is ego. And as much as it is written on doors and told to left be left there, uh, we all have them. And... I've mentioned it before about the idea of the hierarchy, as in you go up the hierarchy um, in your own gym, depending on um, how you perform against other people in the gym. It's an unhealthy and a toxic environment and people get hurt. And there's something I want to say on that as well. Um, I'll come back to it. I need to put, I need to write notes. So, but this then carries on to other gyms, especially when people visit your gym or you go to another gym, is that you're trying to show there's a slight competitive aspect to it as you're trying to show you're the better gym. Like, we're a good gym, look how good we are. And, like, you know, you go as a blue belt to another gym and you roll their blue belts or maybe even their purple belts and you, you hopefully want to trash them and say, look, look how good our gym is. And if another colored belt comes to your gym, it's... I remember doing that. I remember, you know, traveling a lot as a in my in my earlier days. And, yeah, people want to kill you. Um, they really do try and kill you. And it's it's... You want some good competition practice without going to a competition? Just go roll at another gym. They will. They'll do this to you. And it's one of the benefits of then having the pre-system and being a black belt is I don't have to worry about being hurt. I can dictate the pace of the fight. I can go, right, you know what? I'm just going to slow this roll down. I'm going to use very defensive postures. And go see what you're like as a person. Are you going to come and try and kill me? If you're going to try and kill me, cool, I don't mind. We're going to hang around like this. Um, but if it's if you're you know into playing, then I can come out my shell. We can play a bit. Let's let's get our groove on. Um, I think the defensive postures are very useful when you are traveling to different gyms, in that you can then see how people want to treat you. And it's very hard to go in and properly leave your ego at the door, especially as a lower belt. I find that. I found that through every colored belt I had, the target on my back got bigger, and the more I wanted to prove that your 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 don't 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 bring that smoke this way. Um, but as soon as I got my black belt, I just stopped caring. I I, I made it. I, I got this. As there's, there's, I've proved my legitimacy from 
the the bodies left in my wake uh do i have to prove anything other than this and so if i get tapped by a white belt or a blue belt or a purple belt i don't care brown belts can go suck dick um but <laughs> every other belt like so what like okay right does it make me worse no um let's have fun like if you catch me cool i'm in a game who gives a shit i i got this far I wish I had that mentality for the rest of my other belts. I wish I knew the preach stuff of defensive postures. And I wish I, I didn't have my young man's ego at all those other belts. I wish I just knew, like, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, enjoy the game. Play. Uh, but then, going back to the question at hand, etiquette of rolling at other gyms. Um, I would take that. I would always, especially as a black belt now, I go in, I try and be friendly. I try and allow people to play. Um if it's a higher belt, obviously you have more um, space to play because hopefully they can control you. Um, don't try and kill them. And again, that's another thing as a black belt. So at the recent Globetrotters camps in especially Heidelberg, it's the first time, I've said this before, it's the first time I ever felt like a clown. Um, and it's not in a completely bad way. But the first time I felt, because um, I do my class and then I come to the open mats and I'm always asked for roles, and I love the fact that I get to roll so much. Um, but then every role, people are trying to kill you. They want to take a black belt scalp, and they see you as tired. I remember those days, like certain coaches at previous camps, and I was probably one of those dickheads, is that you know coaches were having issues taking their own rash guards off. They are so broken, and now I feel it. I'm like, God damn, like these people... Yeah, I know I'm here. Like you know, you paid you you, you paid for the, the entry fee, and I'm here, and I'm one of the coaches, and um i want you you know to have a good time so i'm I'm gonna make myself available but god damn like give me a rest i'm only human um i was kind of laughing like when we were back at the hostel uh there were four of us coaches in one room and we we're giggling because it looked like a head injury ward is that it looked like it looked like a field hospital in world war one you had some of us like <laughs> one of the coaches woke up screaming at one point I couldn't move because I'd, I'd completely thrown my back out. And if I rolled in bed, I'd practically scream. One of the other coaches was just like quietly sitting with his headphones on, just slightly rocking to himself. Um, that's that's kind of bad. And I remember then going to the final open. I was like, I'm going to drag myself there. My back is fucked, but screw it. Let's go see what happens. And I'm lying on the floor and some white belt comes up to me and like leans over me as I'm lying there, literally in pain after one roll and goes, yeah, you're still rolling. I'm like, kid. Like, I can't, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I need a wheelchair. <laughs> I'm not rolling right now, no. Um, and yeah, it's been wheeled out for the for the circus. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so understand that black belts are human too, and that's important. Like we are, we are only human, and if you come at us hard and we're probably going to try and get you back to just try and save ourselves i like the i think i remember hearing a story of craig jones recently in that if people come hard at him at at his seminars and camps and shit um like he'll just let you tap him like 15 times over and it's like oh yeah so when you go back he's oh yeah i tap craig jones how many times like 15 like okay (laughs) i like that idea like who gives a shit like um so I'm trying to adopt a, a cleaner mentality, and I think it's you've got to look at everyone as human. 
is that those black belts are human too. And they've been on these mats for many years at this point and they're tired. They're probably sore. They want a good game. Give them a good game. But if you try and kill them, it gets old really fast. It's, it's uh, especially now, you know, I'm 36 now. I've been in this game coming up to 15 years. And when I see young gun brown belts that like, you know, full of testosterone, natural and man-made, uh, 22 years old and they just want to kill you. I, I can't, I can't. That's, that's when the old man pre-jujitsu comes in like, cool, I'm just going to stay in this posture and you can't do shit. I think everyone should learn it for your own safety. Just so you can have a happy rolling experience. It doesn't even have to be competitive. All those people who I see online saying, but you never see us in competition. You kind of do because you have to kind of defend those spaces. But it's also useful just for your journey in jujitsu, just so you can go train at places. And when people try and kill you, you can just survive and you can go cool. This wasn't going to be fun because you're being a dick. And so I'm just going to be a dick too. Um, Maybe that's one of the things I need to say when people made that kind of criticism. Like, oh, yeah, I hate people who roll like preach stuff. Like, they just ball up on the floor. Like, how about because you're being a dick to them? They don't feel safe. They don't want to play with you. And so they are just trying to defend themselves safely and not get murdered. Maybe. Maybe look internally. <laughs> uh, next question. I like that one. That's nice. Um, Oh, no, I was going to say something else. So when it comes to smaller people as well rolling in gyms, I knew I was going to say something else. Um, understand there is that power dynamic, especially like you know, high belts, lower belts, etc. Um, stop being competitive with people who aren't on the same power level as you. It sucks for them. Um like I, I, I rolled at uh I, I did a seminar at, um I guess it's affiliate, Jim I'm looking go looking after, good friend, I don't know. Blue Dog Jiu Jitsu. Hey Raj. Um and some of his, you know, white belt, you know, really good guys, lots more than I am, you know, good maybe, you know, twenty five, thirty percent more than I am. I'm not gonna go kill them. Um I could pull out black belt magic and just crush their skulls, you know, Game of Thrones style. But I'm not going to take any joy out of that, ish. They're definitely not going to enjoy that. So let's let them play. Who cares? Who cares? People take this game so fucking seriously. Just enjoy learning. God damn. Um, anyway, next question. Differential learning. Um, what's my experience of it? I think, so to my knowledge, differential learning of um, being able to tailor the mechanisms of learning depending on the student and how they respond. And there's another question similar to this a bit later on. Um, I've been kind of doing this almost instinctively for years. Um, So I teach quite a lot of privates. Um, No two privates are the same. Uh, I mean, people-wise and probably on the mats. Um, In that... When uh, someone comes to me, I have to kind of get a feeling for their what what you know. I, I kind of approach it the same style each time, and then see how they respond. And I I roll a lot in my privates because I want I want the feedback. I want to see how they um, respond to the training. And if they aren't kind of getting it, if I can't feel any progress, then I completely adjust it. And there's some privates which I don't really even do technique 
I just do sparring with them. Like one hour of sparring. And I adjust the role and I adjust what I do and what they can do um, depending on what I think they need to work on. So if I think they need to work on their top pressure a little bit, I'm going to play more guard. If I need to... Oh, still trying to stand up. They need to improve their wrestling. Um, while some, I will... If I feel they need to work on their guard and they're quite a powerful person, I'll put more pressure on them. That was one thing about Naki, actually, when he first started doing jiu-jitsu, was that Naki was a lot bigger than he is now. And he's a super powerful guy. You know, even now, he's like, what, 87 kilos, but moves like he's 100... But has the power of 110. He's, he has the speed of an 87, power of 110, and it's goddamn scary. But once upon a time, he was 110 and moved like an 87. And it still wasn't fun. Um, but it meant that he could really throw his weight around and, and use his power. And so I had to very much crush him because no one was going to force him onto his back. Um, they couldn't. So I had to really up my um, intensity level on him to make sure he learned how to fight off his back and get upright. Otherwise, he was just going to come across someone who of his size one day and never get that experience. Um, there are some students who I, I have to come in at different every single session and go, right, let's see if this works today. And eventually something will click and I'll go, right, cool, we're going down this route then. Um, I have one guy I've been training with him for years and very similarly, you know, we do privates once a week, once every other week. And he's a lot smaller than I am. We've approached guard, we've approached various other things, but the... Eventually, as we watched some video of Khabib wrestling and his style and intensity, I was like, "Right, I want you to imitate this. I want to see what happens." So, I'm going to do a bit of war work, and I want to, I want to put yourself in his shoes. I want to have the tenacity of like a Jordan Burroughs Khabib style. Just keep going at me, and oh my god, he jumped like a belt level. And again, it wasn't really like a idea that. I use in class exactly, or I I normally talk about, is that, right, I want you to become a person. I want you to act for me. I want you to think you are this person. Do I feel that their style would kind of suit you? I want you to, okay, you you just go into their headset, go into their mindset. What happens? Holy hell, what a response. Um, And some people, it's some privates, I don't do anything but talk. We don't even get to change. We just talk about the concepts of jiu-jitsu and then they go away and they go play with it. So I think that the 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 one thing that kind of drives that is the idea that a coach is someone who gets you where you want to be when you cannot get there yourself. And if I'm a coach, I need to be able to um, find the best route for that person. And it's not the same for every single person. I need to look at you and go, right, where do you want to be? How are we going to get there? And if that means me changing completely or try and change you, we'll figure it out. Um, but any coach who cares should just do that naturally. It's just, it's just one of those things. Like if you care about your athlete, if you care about the person who's come to you, adjust. And we're going to go into more of that later with the final question. So next one. One sec. <laughs> I talk a lot. There we go. Uh, how does my game change or what do i teach difference between gi and no gi so i've always been kind of a, a no gi guy i do slightly better than the gi weirdly but i'm a no gi guy um and it's a predominantly no gi gym i don't teach either people can wear what the hell they want but it's always been a submission wrestling gym 
Um, and people do come in with a gi. They buy a gi. I have gis. And one of the first things I ever see is that people get obsessed with fighting the jacket. Like, there's clothing on. I have to fight it. No, you don't. Like, just do what you do in no gi. Still works. <laughs> you don't have to change up just because they've got a jacket on. And I think the, the reason why I've never really been that bothered about doing the difference between the two is that it's understanding that the gi is just an extension of what you'd want to do in no gi anyway. In that, if I want to grab your wrists, I'll grab your sleeves. It's the idea of solidifying a grip and then extending where that grip extends. And this is a fascinating one, actually, is that there was a... Keenan came to the um, Globetrotters camp in Copenhagen, Guinea Cornelius, uh, 2014, and he did worm guard for three hours. And fantastic, awesome, learnt loads, still use it. Weirdly. How weird's that? Nogi, uh, I'm a worm guard guy. Disgusting. Um, and one thing he said that kind of really resonates with me all these years later, you know, nine years later, fuck, that's long, is um, when you grab the gi and you wrap it around your foot, imagine where that gi is going. It's ru- it's going up around, it's like a, like a fascia, it's going up around their back to their opposing shoulder. And so you got to imagine, like, you grab and hold that gi, you're pulling all the way around their back. You've essentially got a long underhook. Use the gi as an extension of your own arm and where you'd be reaching. And I love that idea. So every time I get a gi, I just think, right, what would I want? What am I trying to accomplish? I'm trying to control their armpit. I'm trying to open their armpit. I'm trying to control their back. I'm trying to control their posture. How does my grip affect what I want to do in no gi? What I can now do better in the gi. That's essentially it. I don't look at it any different. Is that if the gi is just, if I'm just fighting the jacket for jacket's sake, would I do that in no gi? Would it make any sense to me in no gi? Probably not. So why am I doing it now? And that's when. Especially when no gi guys go into wearing the gi for the first time, they just end up fighting the jacket and they fight the clothes. And there's been times where I could literally probably just take my clothes off, leave them on the floor, and they probably wouldn't notice I'd left. Um, <laughs> they just fight the clothing. So how do I change up between the two? Like obviously, gi is easier to maintain control grips compared to no gi. Um, one thing I enjoy about no gear is the speed of it. Is that if you get something, it's it's very temporary uh, before you you lose it entirely and you have to move on. Uh, whilst gears, you can kind of keep it and you can kind of keep it a bit longer. But then I understand it does take the urgency out of some techniques. And pro, you can think longer. Con, you can get a bit lazy, uh, kind of because then as soon as you go in no gear, they just you haven't got that thinking time anymore. You've just got to do. Um, I like playing both. I usually I usually split it out that if it's cold, I wear a gi. If it's not cold, I wear no gi. Or if it's super, super, super hot, I wear a gi because I'm a masochist. Um, <laughs> uh, going on to that then, this is a nice one, is that how do I use posture and balance against gi guards such as spider lapel and various other gi-based grips? And you got to think that what is their purpose in guard in the first place? And... This was actually something that kind of came across in the seminar I just did at Rogers. Is that, and this goes into Greg Soders and Danaher. And if you haven't listened to Greg Soders' episode, please go back. It's fantastic. I might try and get him on again very, very, very soon. Um, is that when you are um, attacking someone, you're trying to break their posture and balance. And posture can also mean balance in the way of you think of. 
in the Greg Soda's episode, he mentioned about Kazushi that Danaher mentions, talks about. And it's not Kazushi as in just breaking their bands, but affecting their posture, that they their holistic balance. They have to address what you have done before they can carry on, just like if you fell over. And a lot of things that we do in Jiu-Jitsu are to affect the other person's posture. And to be able to even fight on in guard, you have to have a good spinal posture. If someone takes it away from you, like stacking, for example, and puts a lot of pressure through your spine, you lose your spinal posture and you can't generate power anymore. Our ability to generate power is through good posture. You know, it's that word you kind of hear screamed a lot um, of posture, posture. Normally it's in closed guard only and just coming upright, but it's everywhere. Your ability to generate power is through your posture. Your ability to generate power is through your balance and your connection through the ground. Um... And the goal of jiu-jitsu is to fuck up that person's posture and balance. And so when people are playing stuff like lassos and, and other things like I just mentioned in the previous question, the goal of the gi is an extension of your own body um, to wrap around you like a fascia. Like if, someone, you know, if I'm grabbing the gi, it's my hand and reaching around your back. Um, you know, If I'm grabbing your elbow, sleeve scrag seam whatever i call it it's wrapping around your arm i've got a huge wide grip around your arm but i wouldn't be able to do unless i had giant hands and i don't they're tiny ones um and so when someone's playing a lasso and everything they're trying to affect your balance and posture that's the goal of it they're using your gear as an extension of their body to wrap around you and they're trying to affect your posture and balance that's why we do these things and uh, one of the things that we tried at rogers is if you are belligerent and disciplined maintaining your balance and posture, how many submissions actually work in guard? Triangles, very, very difficult. So it just maintains good spinal alignment. Guillotines, all those things that you need to have. Um, you need to really break someone's posture and balance for them to then fall into submission traps. And like leg locks, like, you know, you're trying to. If someone's upright and you swing for a leg lock on them, you need them to fall over. You need to fall into their. You need them to fall into your trap to make that leg lock work. If they don't fall, they keep good postural balance into the ground and strip you off. Your leg lock doesn't work. It's all about posture and balance. It's the base of the tree. And so, if someone's attacking you with these gee guards, like at that point, know what they're trying to do. They're trying to affect your posture and balance. Don't let them. They're trying. They're probably they might succeed. But know that that's what they're doing. And I talk about, you know, previously this idea of the conscious competence is that they're trying to distract you. They're trying to make you panic. They're trying to make you do other things. And you're going to have to think, especially in those moments where you're becoming compromised, recognize when you're becoming compromised in guards, for example, and go, no, I know what you're trying to do. I'm going to fix my posture and balance. I'm not just going to try and muscle through and hope for the best because that's when mistakes happen. Humor me. Try that in training next. I'm going to have to do a video on this. I might even do it tonight's class. So look out for that video. It might be coming out later. Um, maintain your posture and balance. See what happens. It might work for you. Um, last question. And I didn't want to take up too much of your day, but I love answering questions and please send more to me. I love reading these things because it made me go on huge rants. How do I uh, use the ecological lens to give feedback to people who just aren't getting it? 
Hmm. I, I think I paraphrased that question, but I like that way of wording it to myself. <laughs> um, so I think especially that's about a conversation between Greg, Preet and various others of um, where did techniques come from? They weren't handed down by some deity. And this is a kind of approach I've, I've maintained for a while is that, oh, I'm glad I kept this one to last. This is going to be a rant. Um, techniques weren't handed down by some deity. They, Everything we do is applying ourselves to the machines of jujitsu, the concepts, and techniques come out the other way. And that's essentially it. We come into the machine, outcome techniques, and that's it. And then we teach those techniques to people. Now, we applied ourselves to the machine. This technique came out, the, came out the other end. So where does the ecological approach apply to this? The ecological approach is to give someone the machine. I've talked about concepts and all those other things and giving someone the space to apply themselves to the machine. And if the concept is fully realized, and jujitsu is just physics and physiology. It's just the practice of physics and physiology without strikes. Um, if we apply ourselves to those machines, we should get out the same techniques. Like if you apply the idea that I need to break your balance and posture, we'll come out the same way eventually because only physics and physiology. There's only so many ways to break a human being's posture and um, physiology uh, and physics and balance, etc. So the ecological lens is essentially giving people the time and space to apply themselves to the machine. Um and so that's why I like I I balance out. Like if I'm teaching a concept, I'll show like things that came out of the machine previously, but I'm like that's mine. Like you can probably use it, but you have to understand the machine to understand the technique that came out the other end of it. Um if you don't understand the machine, it's just a technique and you don't understand why it sits there. Like it's just, you know, something made this thing and you just have it and you're like, "Oh, what do I do with this?" <laughs> but if you understand the concept and you've lived in the lived in the machine, then the techniques make sense to you. And that's why one of the things that, you know, it's my job to to get people to understand this game. And so I do my best to demonstrate the concepts as much as I can, explain them on a deeper level as much as I can, and give people the time and space to then live inside those concepts, live inside those machines. Sometimes I'll go, right, look, look what I made. I made this, this came out of the machine when I put myself in it. And they can go, or they can go and go out and see techniques in the wild and go, oh, right, I understand why that exists now. I understand why that person got to that conclusion. I understand when they apply themselves to the machine that this came out the other end. And I said this whole idea of like worm guard, worm guard when it first came out, and I'm old enough to remember when it came out, is, again, it's just applying to the machine. Like using the gear as an extension of your body, uh, you're inhabiting the armpits, trying to break their posture, um, and then... Uh, affecting their balance yeah that's it and so when people started to break worm guard the first thing they did was push the foot down and put it back into the in between your legs to get it out of the armpit space yeah you don't want people in your armpits because they're controlling your spine and torso so get them out and then using that to then uh, drop down and realign your spine because the pulling of the gi wrap around your back is affecting your posture and so but if I just showed you a pass for worm guard that came out, you could have just done it. But then a slight variation that you don't know why the fuck it doesn't work. Um, 
And so if I have to look at the idea of, you know, if someone isn't getting the um, getting the idea from the ecological perspective, I don't understand what the fuck I'm trying to do. And again, I hate going down these routes of, of learning practices and, and why uh, um, different ways of doing things. If you don't understand why of anything, like why the fuck are we here? Um, why are we doing ecological? What's the fucking purpose of it? And it is to make you understand the concepts. It's the, you, the best way of learning stuff is by figuring stuff out. And, you know, something I've applied a lot anyway when I came to try and learn anything is that, right, well, I need to accomplish this. How the fuck am I going to do it? Um, and you can pick up various bits and pieces throughout the way, but then it's just fuck about and find out and fail and come back again. And, you know, let's say I play a lot of video games and that's essentially how it works. Um, and so if someone isn't getting something in the ecological way, it may be a case that I have to ask their partner to adjust the um, intensity that they're giving. But also, I need to make sure that person fully understands the concept. That's on me. Like, I need to then talk to them and go, right, why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we here? What are we trying to accomplish? How do the physics and physiology of this game apply to what we're doing right now? And if we can talk about that and you can understand that, then that will fix what you're about to do ecologically. I don't just then fold and go, well, here's something I made earlier, just do that. That's not fair. I don't want to rob people. If it takes them longer, it takes them longer. That's fine. Not everyone's supposed to get it at the same pace. You're supposed to apply yourself to the machine and come out with something that works for you. And jujitsu isn't perfect. The idea that you have to replicate a technique perfect is nonsense. Allow yourself the space to do things wrong. Or not just wrong, right for right now. That's fine. Like I've always allowed blue belts to teach in my gym. Do I do my techniques better than them? Probably. Uh, they're probably cleaner. But that's not to say what they're doing doesn't work, because obviously it does. Might not be entirely perfect, but it's good enough. And if it teaches someone various ideas that they haven't got yet, that's perfect too. That's fine. Um, so going for the ecological lens, yeah, just make sure they understand what the fuck they're doing. Like, that's on you as a coach. That's improve your communication skills. Like, ask them, talk to them, have a conversation, go, right, what are we trying to do here? Um, oh, it's not the same about Naki. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, again, look out for the webinars that are coming up. Uh, there'll be one a month and it'll be, I'm excited to be doing these. It's going to be so much fun. It's going to be like a, uh, another podcast again. So it'll be a Q&A session and also a, um, I'm going to uh, put up a vote for a topic, not this month, but definitely starting the next month. It'll be a, Q &A, uh, be a vote for a topic. I'll put like three or four ideas up. I'm a webinar on that topic and you can vote for which one you want to do. And then it'll be Q&A afterwards. And again, it's uh, sign up on the Patreon to find out more about that. Um, and it'll be a YouTube link uh, for for live. You can comment, and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a blast. Uh, thank you for your time. It's always a pleasure doing these. Um, thank you for still joining us for Reap the Week, and uh, have a good weekend. Thank you.